Hello again. Sorry, I'll look at you. Hello again. There you go. Uh, Well, uh, we are in our foundation series, you can see behind me, and uh, we are closing in on wrapping up the series we have this week and next week where we're going to be looking at building a biblical foundation in our life, in our family's life, in the life of this church. By doing that, we have to turn to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say about uh, particular things that we may have a belief about, we may believe even is true, maybe not have a conviction about, but if it doesn't match the Word of God, then what the Word of God reveals is we have built a very uh, loose foundation. We've built it upon the sand. And so if we've gone through this foundation series, some of us may have been convicted and challenged and even given a new perspective on certain things that need to change in order to align to the Word of God because we either didn't believe it right or we weren't living in accordance to that understanding. When it comes to these foundations, it's not just about us gathering more head knowledge in this place. That's not what this place is for, whether we gather in Bible study or church on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or any times we gather with any of God's people to get into the Bible. It's not about getting more head knowledge. Head knowledge is nice, but if we're not applying what we know, then the Word of God tells us we're actually a foolish builder. Because we hear the Word of God, but we're not applying it. We're not doing it. And so as we've been going through this, we've looked at God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We've, we've looked at the gospel and Christianity. And today we're going to turn our series attention to what is known as the church. And uh, we are closing in, the Hurchin family is closing in on being here uh, for almost four months now. And it, it's been a very good four months. We've Uh, just love getting to know you, you loving on us, getting to know this community. It's been a great four months, uh, and we we sing your praises when people ask us how things are going in Stratford and what God is doing here at Harvest Hill and doing our family's life. But uh, in that time of getting to know you, there's no but there, sorry. In that time of getting to know you uh, and you getting to know us, one thing I've gotten to know some of your testimonies and you've gotten to know some of my testimony is a lot of us have been in a lot of churches and we've come through a lot of different circumstances and some good and some bad. And, and here's a reality that I've heard over and over again is churches can be very funny and sometimes not a good funny, right? Churches can sometimes do some things in our life that really put a sour taste in our mouth when it comes to church and when it comes to God himself. And let me just testify, if you haven't heard my testimony, uh, my ministry, let me just say I understand there, stand that, been there done that. I went through a period of time where I was questioning God, okay, is this really what it's about? And if it is, I want nothing to do with it. And it it took me about six months to get through that period where I wasn't really involved in the church. I was was going periodically, but I wasn't doing ministry. I wasn't, um, I was just really seeking after God because I had some heart issues that needed to be Um, worked on and God needed to reveal some things to me and so I want to say that if you and a lot of us have have had that that sour taste that churches can sometimes bring let me just say as a minister of the gospel I am sorry uh, but you're not alone and I want to just say commend you right now for being here right now because the church has done a lot of good for the gospel it has done a lot of good for eternity and the kingdom But the church is also the number one reason a lot of people turn away from God altogether. It has been upon the church that has pushed more people away from Jesus Christ than any other thing. If you look at some of the more outspoken atheists and agnostics and socialists out there today, it's because they had a bad 
experience within the church. Something happened that lit a fuse that made him go a complete opposite direction. I believe that happens in the church is because the church loses its focus on what it's supposed to be. And so I'm really excited about this morning because um, some of y'all know that we went through a, a wonderful stomach bug this week in our family. And uh, by Tuesday, I, f- I felt I had this message ready to go. <laughs> I felt I had this message ready to go for this Sunday. And by Thursday, when um, I was uh, beginning to come back into a reality and feeling like I wanted to live still, um, <laughs> you, you've been there. I know you have. Um, God began speaking to my heart and saying, you know what, that's not the message. And so starting Thursday night and all day Friday, just spending, this is what God wanted to be said to all of us this morning um, concerning the church. We need to start with some understanding about the church. The church is first not a physical building, okay? The church is never defined as in scripture as a physical location. Now there are churches in physical locations, but the church is not a means of the post office to be able to find it. We may be able to point, this is where I go to church or give a name of the church. But if you look in scripture, what makes the church is a gathering of God's people forming a local body or a local congregation, which is called the church. The word church in scripture actually means God called out. And what it implies is that God called out individuals to himself into a relationship with himself so that in turn those people would come together and call out to the world those who are still in sin. That's the church. It has nothing to do with 101 East Evergreen. And so the church takes place, yes, here right now, but the church takes place obviously all around this nation. It takes place across the interstate, down the street. It takes places in homes. It takes places in businesses. It takes places wherever God's people gather together in the name of the one true God, and they worship Him, and they focus on their relationship with Him. That is then the church. And so it's a blessing to be here, but we've got to understand how the Bible defines what the church is and what the church is to be about. The church can do a lot of silly things, um, hurtful things at times, yes, but silly things too. Just think about some of the things we've already done here this morning as we've gathered and come to church. Would you do any of the things we do from 10.15 until we, or 10.30 until we leave here this morning at any other place during the rest of your week? Can you imagine gathering with your coworkers when you come to work on Monday morning and you all assemble together and you open up with song? You have like a little musical to start your day, right? Can you imagine what that would look like? Or if you had an, inter- an individual instruct you, all right, everybody, we're going to stand up now. I want you to say hi to everybody before you start doing anything else. I want you to sit down now. I want you to close your eyes and, and bow your heads now. Some of y'all don't need anybody to tell you to do that at work, right? They just do it. But if, can you imagine if we did that at our workplace, if that was kind of the instruction? And so with that mindset, for those of us who have grown up in church, we need to understand from a worldly perspective, we do a lot of silly things at church that don't make a lot of sense when people come into the church and, and what, what? We're singing? Why, why is that person over there clapping? And why are they dancing? And, and what? It looks strange. Another silly thing we do at church, and this is what I love about being a pastor, is I kind of get an idea of who's here and who's not, because we don't assign you seats. 
but you all assign yourself seats. Just think about how often you sat in the general same location or even if not the exact same seat. Long. The only person we actually assign a seat is Darren, and that's for our own protection, right? <laughs> but I've been in churches that have been so, they've been so crazy where I've, I've seen visitors come and sit in, in a pew. Y'all remember pews? Sit in a pew, and this little old lady who I guess bought the pew looked at this visitor and said, uh, you're in my seat, and told them to move. Wow, that's loving people, isn't it? But let's be honest. When someone sits in your general area or in where you typically sit, it throws you off a bit, doesn't it? See, we, we do silly things. We, we, we do a lot of things at church that we wouldn't do in other places. Um, another thing we need to know as we begin this series or this looking at the church is there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. I know we raise individuals up to these saint levels, but Billy Graham himself wrestles with sin. Okay? We are an imperfect people who all of us struggle in sin and struggle wrestling with sin on a daily basis, who gather together in the name of Jesus, in the name of the one true God, and we represent a perfect Holy God. And because we struggle with our sin, but that's what we represent, we need to understand there's not a person in here that is perfect, and therefore there's not a church on this side of eternity that is perfect. There are going to be people in here that are going to frustrate you. There are going to be people in here you're going to want to give the right hand of fellowship to. There are going to be times that you're going to get upset with me as your pastor. There's going to be times I'm going to get upset with you as the church. It's going to happen, and it's part of this growing that we all have to go through. We all have to persevere through, okay? If we never allow troubles to come and, and to learn from those and to grow from those, we're never going to get to where God needs us to be. It's not always going to be easy. It is not always going to be the way we think it should go or how we think it should look. But if God is leading us and we're following His lead, then we just have to stay on course. So if you're here this morning... Understand that there's not a person in here that does not have the ability to upset you at some point in time. Okay? Because there's not a perfect person in this place. We're just trying to do our very best to represent a perfect God at Harvest Hill Baptist Church. Now, a lot of churches focus so much on these things that they lose the foundation of what the church is. If you have your Bibles with you, your scriptures, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the very first gospel um, when we come into the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 16. Um, a lot of times when people think about the church, you think you should jump to the book of Acts and look at how the Holy Spirit came and the founding of the church or how Paul read, wrote to a lot of churches and things like that. But the first time the word church is actually mentioned in scripture comes in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew in verse 16, and we're going to begin in verse 13 through 18, and we're really going to focus on just this passage of Scripture this morning, kind of draw out what is being said here concerning the church. So beginning in verse 13, we read, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Basically the question is, all right, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? 
And so they said, some say John the Baptist, who, by the way, at this point in time, has been beheaded. So they were saying that he is a reincarnated or resurrected or back from the dead John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, who in the prophecies of the Old Testament said that Elijah would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. So those who are saying that Jesus is Elijah is saying he is not the Messiah, but he is a prophet like Elijah who is preparing the way for the Messiah that is coming. Others say Jeremiah, and others say one of the prophets, meaning the word on the street about Jesus was that he was some important guy. And he had authority and he had the power of God inside him and, and we should give him our attention. So he then turns the question and he says to them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? In other words, that's nice what other people say about me, but I want to know what do you believe about me? Who do you say that I am that you've spent time with me? Now what do you understand about who Jesus is? and what Jesus is here to do. And we got to love Simon Peter. Simon Peter is one of the few disciples who frequently opens his mouth. Sometimes he gets it right, sometimes he gets it wrong. And at this point in time, he gets it right. In verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want us to see something right off the bat there at the very end of our reading there in verse 18, and what Jesus said concerning the church, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One thing we need to understand about the church is that the church is power. But just think about that that word power for a moment. When you think of something that's powerful, is the church typically the first thing that comes to mind? But according to Jesus Christ, when he talks about the church and saying the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he is talking about the power of the church, meaning the power of God's people gathering together in the name of the living Christ, in the name of the living God, and dwell with the Holy Spirit inside him. There is power in this place, and there is power when God's people get on point to what God has set aside for them to do in this world. There is power in this place. We come in the the name of Jesus Christ and in the presence of the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God, and we represent Him in the world because He has given us everything that pertains to godliness by the power of His Spirit inside of us. And there's power in us, there's power in this place, and there's power when we go in the name of Jesus Christ as the church of Harvest Hill into the world. And we need to come to understanding there's power. See, when I grew up in church, I didn't think of the church as powerful. When I thought of power, when growing up, I thought of home improvement. Remember the TV show Home Improvement? Tim the Tool Man Taylor, Tim Allen, that was one of my favorite shows. Right, come on, guys. All right, well, some of you men need to go take a nap and get some more power. Power. And so what Tim would do is he would come across something that needed what? More power. And so he would start to tinker with it. The problem is when he tinkered with it, he either hurt himself or make the situation worse, right? And so it became a comical thing. And what Tim did is he saw something that was working and thought, I can make it better. And the thing we can do with the church is we can see the church as what it is and what God has planted it to be. And we can look at it and say, what? I can make it better. 
But here's the thing. We cannot manifest the power of God or the presence of God. It's not brought by songs that we sing. It's not brought by anything. It's brought by the heart of God's people. Are we tuned to the presence of God? See, my problem in growing up with church and not seeing a power in the church was not the church itself. There were a lot of godly people in those churches that I was a part of. The problem was my heart was blind. I saw church as something other than what God intended it, for be, it to be. I saw it as a time slot that I would be somewhere on Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night, sometimes Wednesday night, and that was the church. But what the church is meant to do is that God is calling out to his people, made in his image, to come into his presence, to be changed by him, and to be empowered to go out into the world. This is what we gather here to do, is to be in the power of God and be empowered by God to take his name out into the world because there's power in this place. But if we make church about checking in and checking out, we'll never experience church in the way Jesus defined that the gates of hell, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against this place. Shall not overcome it. It shall not conquer it. And the reason that is is because God loves the church. He protects it. He blesses it. He provides for it. And He does because the church is His bride. So the question then is, why do so many churches struggle? The reality is, is there are hundreds of churches that close their door every single year in America. Right now, there are churches, and I've heard of them, um, some of them I, I know personally, that are struggling financially. They're struggling physically. They're struggling spiritually. There are, there are churches in this state of Missouri right now that have not seen a salvation in over 20 years. They haven't seen a new member come to that church in, in that time or longer. The only time they add anybody or see a salvation is because someone's born into the church. And so churches begin to struggle, and I believe it's because they leave this foundation which Jesus gives us right here in the Gospel of Matthew. Look there in verse 13, chapter 16 in Matthew. It says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that I am? You know, Jesus was very intentional about what he did. He didn't tell a parable simply because, hey, guys, it's story time. He didn't do a miracle simply because, you know, people were asking for something to happen. Jesus was very intentional. He was a very purposeful Messiah, very purposeful God. He came to make God known. God doesn't do anything by accident. Everything has a plan and a purpose. And as Jesus comes to this place and, and asks this question to disciples, but who do people say that I am? And ultimately, who do you say that I am? And then he states the confession of Peter's that this is the church and I'm going to build my church upon this rock. See, Jesus is in an area known as Caesarea Philippi, which is a known of demonic worship. As they're going through this district, this district was known to house the, the worship of the god Baal. And worshiping the god Baal, what they would do is the adults would bring their children and they would sacrifice them to this god, hoping to appease him, hoping that he wouldn't destroy them, hoping he would continue to bless them and give them stuff. And so their eyes were tuned to this demon and they lifted him up. When the Syrians fell, eventually the Greeks came in and they turned this same district into a worshiping of the Greek god Pan. 
And under that worship, they also gave up sacrifices, but then they began to have uh, practices with one another, men with men, women with women, and that was their worship service. Now as Rome had come into power, this same area was now housing the worship of the Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire, where people would pledge their allegiance that he is the God of the empire. He is the God that we should turn to and we should trust in. He is the Lord. And in this place, don't think it, it was a coinkadink that Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And eventually leads to the foundation of the rock of the church. Is because Jesus was intentional in what it tells us as he is intending to drive his disciples to this understanding is that the church has to have intentional worship. See, worship is not about us just simply singing songs because Jackson and the worship team are, are leading a song and we're just singing the words. You know, we're not puppets. We're not being brainwashed here. Worship isn't about standing or sitting. We're supposed to stand and sit, but it's supposed to be intentional worship. It's supposed to be focused on the one true God. Think about this when it comes to worship. And worship isn't just about singing songs either. Worship is meant to be a lifestyle. But when we worship God, if you look in the scriptures, you see every time an individual is given a revelation of the heavens, you know what they're doing in heaven? Worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Earth is filled with his glory. All power, all glory, all might, and all strength belong to you. And every time we give an image of the heavens, we see the heavenly creatures and the angels and the saints bowing before the king and they're worshiping him. And so when we come here and we sing songs and we worship God outside of these walls, see, when we make church about a building, we confine our worship to this building. But when we worship God in everything we say and do, what we're doing is we're joining in with eternity. We're joining with the angels. We're joining with the saints who see God in all of his glory. We're joining with our brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world. See, worship is meant to connect us when we are intentional about our worship. But if we're simply singing songs to sing songs, that's not intentional. That is a danger that a lot of churches are struggling with right now. See, it's funny that we make worship into a worship war. It should be traditional. It should be contemporary. It should be hymns. It should be bluegrass. It should be guitar, piano, organ, choir, whatever. You know what we do? We make it not intentional about him. We make it intentional about us. It's what we want. And you look in the scriptures, God comes and reveals that we all battle with different things when it comes to our worship. And the first battle we have when it comes to not being intentional in worship is by making our, our worship ritualistic. Ritualistic religion was one of the downfalls of Israel in the Old Testament. What that is, is see, Israel was given the mandate of offerings and sacrifices and coming before God in a certain way and bringing certain offerings to come before God for certain sins and things like that. And so every year it became almost the same thing. Do this at this time, you do this at this time, this is for this reason, this is for that reason. So over the course of time, what happened is they simply were doing the things they were supposed to do, but their heart wasn't behind it. They were doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And we can do the same thing in church. 
We can sing all the songs. We can bow our head in all the prayers. We can look at the scriptures. We can do all of this. We can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons if our heart is not into it. In the book of Isaiah in chapter 1, God sends his prophet Isaiah. And he comes to him in verse 11. He says, the Lord is speaking through the prophet to the people of Israel. He says, what to me is this multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Did you hear that? My soul hates it. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are full of blood. And what God brings Isaiah is to bring basically a wake-up call to his people. And as we gather as a church, we are the people of God, and God brings his wake-up call. How is our worship? How is it? Why are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? Are we actually tuning our heart to the living God? Are we simply going through the motions of worship? Because let's be honest, I've been here for four months and we have a pretty set pattern. Song, hello, how are you? Say hello. Song, 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 preach, song, go home. We just kind of expanded out in about an hour or so. We can get so used to that that we can get ritualistic. That if I'm doing these things and throwing a little money in the offer plate before I leave here and there, I must be doing it right. But God reveals that we can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons if our hearts are not intentional on Him. And focusing on Him. Otherwise, church just becomes a game. It just becomes something you do rather than something that is full of power that is meant to change us. The other battle we wrestle with is the battle of misunderstanding or not understanding worship and the church. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, which was a big no-no for Jews. They would go the long way around. But he travels through and he comes to a well. He sends the disciples into town. Intentional, okay? Disciples go into town, so a lady from town comes out in the middle of the day, Big no-no, they wouldn't do that. It'd be too hot to come to water then. But this lady has a bad background. She has a lot of relationships that have not been godly. And she comes out to get water. Jesus begins his conversation, intentional, and begins a conversation about revealing that, you know, she's in relationships she should not be in and been in relationships she should have never been in. Well, the woman, and you can read it later, says, why, well, I, I see that you're a prophet. In other words, she says, I see that you can see things beyond your own ability. God has given you uh, the discernment to see things. And at that point in time, she changes the conversation. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> we, we shift the conversation. So she shifts it to worship. 
And she talks about worshiping that, you know, you Jews say you need to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here on this hill. So which is which? What shall we do? And see, she did not understand worship, that worship cannot be confined to a place. And Jesus comes and reveals to her in John chapter 4, that the hour is coming, verse 23, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. See, worship, if we can find it, you know, I did my worship, I did my deed, I did my Christian thing because I went to church and I did all the things they told me to do and now I'm good, I checked in, I checked out, I'm good for the week. If that is our worship and that is how we represent God as God's people, then we're missing it. We don't understand it. God doesn't want a couple hours during your week. God wants all of you because he died for all of us, every ounce of us. So we leave this place in his name, worshiping him and what we find ourselves doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we come back on Sunday and we worship him again with all of God's people so we can go out and lift him up and praise him and bring him glory in everything we do. The other battle we face when it comes to being intentional is similar to ritualistic, and that is going through the motions. And it's very similar, but what it really reflects is where our heart is. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, this, this, this letter is written to the seven churches that are going, um, that John is led to write to, and the very last church that is addressed is the church of Laodicea. In verse 15, Jesus brings his judgment, saying, I know your works. I mean, I know what you're doing. Okay, I see it all. And obviously, this church felt it was doing things right. But Jesus brings the revelation you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That language in the Greek is to imply, I'm going to vomit you. You make me sick. And this isn't God speaking in harsh tones. This is God trying to show his loving kindness to this church to change their ways. And as we come to this place, this is what God does in this moment is, is to change our ways. If we've been going through the motions and just doing the church thing, is that if we've just been in that spot where we're lukewarm, we're not really on fire for God, but we're not opposed to God, we're just kind of right here with God. God says, that place makes me sick. Make up your mind. Are you for me or against me? You can't be in the middle. And when it comes to our worship, it's got to be all about Him. He's got to be on display. It's not about these individuals up here. It's not about the preacher. It's not about any individual family, committee, in, or person in this church. And it never can be. But let's be honest, there are a lot of churches that that is where their focus is because they're not intentional in their worship. And when we do that, bad things happen. Turning back to Matthew chapter 16 again. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And it's with what Peter says here that we see the foundation of the church. Not only to be intentional, but the church is a place to preach, teach, learn, testify, 
and worship Jesus. That's what this place is about. Teach, preach, learn, testify, and worship Jesus. I mean, we're to be about Jesus. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what is being said here to Peter uh, in verse 18. And I want us to understand when, when Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The word Peter in the Greek is Petros. It, it, Jesus is doing this word play in, in Aramaic is what he spoke and was written here in the Greek. And it's Petros. But when it comes to the word rock, the word there is Petra. See, it's, it's a masculine Petros and a feminine Petra. And there are a lot of misunderstandings here when it comes to what Jesus says to Peter is that Jesus was now commissioning Peter to be the Pope or the leader of the church. And that is not what is being said here at all. Jesus is calling Peter the Petros, meaning a type of rock. He would be a pillar. He would be a foundational piece of the church as a leader of the church, but he would not be the foundation of the church. The rock, the Petra, is what Peter says concerning Jesus. That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's a lot of misunderstanding that Jesus is calling Peter, in fact, the rock. But he's not calling him the rock in which the church is laid upon. If Peter was the first pope, he was a very bad one. Peter was married. <laughs> That's rule number one, isn't it? Peter was married. Peter did not... Finish out being the leader of the, of the first Jerusalem church. He was actually rebuked by other people within the church because some of the decisions he was making concerning circumcision. And a matter of fact, James, Jesus' half-brother, took the role of leadership within the church of Jerusalem before Peter would die. See, Jesus isn't saying you are now the pope or the priest or the, the main person in the church. Peter or Jesus is saying to Peter, what you said concerning me, that is what the church is to be about. That I am the Christ, the son of the living God. See, the church is not founded upon an individual, a pastor, a committee, a family. It is founded upon Jesus Christ. It has to be all about Jesus. If we are not pointing to Jesus, then we're not being the church. That's the reality. If we're pointing to anything else, politics, social agendas, we're not the church. We are to continually point to Jesus. He is the cornerstone. He's the rock. We also see here that the church is the place where we encounter the living God. Peter says that you are the Christ and the living God, and this is the rock in which the church would be built, the living God. This is incredible when you think about it. When you turn to the Old Testament, for the people to encounter the living God, they, they asked Moses first time out to, to be an intermediary, to, to go between to, to intercede for them, for God, because they saw His holy presence and they understood they, were, they could not be in the presence of holy. And so they feared Him. And from that point on, we have the priest set up where the priest would go before the people, before God, and they would go into the inner, the inner uh, courtyard. And from there, they would go to the holy of holies by lot. Always separated. 
Never fully immersed into the presence of God. Always having a priest or a teacher of the law to tell them what God was trying to tell them. But now, because of Jesus Christ being the Son of the living God, we have Jesus and we're able to draw into the Holy of Holies with confidence and assurance. The book of Hebrews in chapter 10 tells us, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence entered to the holy places by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What this means for us is the church is a place where we are relational with God. That's our number one priority here. That we come here expecting a loving God to speak to us and expecting to meet with Him. Jesus said in the greatest commands that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, soul, everything about us, loving Him, relation. See, God is not a God who's out there somewhere. God wasn't surprised when NASA found planets they think support life. He probably laughed. Um, but he, knew all, he knows everything. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head or lack thereof. He knows who you are. And we come to this place because God loves us, continues to provide for us and bless us and protect us and to relate with Him and to worship. See, our worship comes out of our way that we have experienced God loving us throughout the week. This is a place where we encounter the living God. It's also a place where we relate to God's people. See, this isn't about us just sitting in your assigned seating. We'll start putting names in places next week. It isn't about that. It's about coming here and gathering as God's people and interacting with one another, loving on one another, fellowshipping with one another. Jesus said that they would know that you're my, my disciples by the way you love one another. See, a lot of churches, and I've been in them. Once the, the church bell rings at, at the end of the sermon, it's like a massive exodus. We are called to be God's people to gather together and to share our lives with one another. Get to know each other. We're also called to, to love people that God brings into our life, whether it's at church or throughout our week. This is part of, of lifting him up as the living God. Now we're called to love our neighbor. The word neighbor there in Scripture means anybody, anybody that God brings into your life, that's your neighbor. That doesn't mean you like them. That doesn't mean you always get along with them. That doesn't mean they don't irritate you. But that's your neighbor that God is commanding you as his people to love. So what we do is we worship Him because He is alive in this place. He's alive in our life. We worship Him together. We interact with one another because He's alive in all of us. And, and we love on one another. We share our lives with one another. We pray with one another. We lift each other up. We share each other's burdens. And then the people that God brings in our life, you think, you think they're attracted to you? God brought every single individual in your life, every single friend in your life for the purpose that you would love them so they would know how much a loving God loves them. God gives us our friends. God gives us open doors to our jobs. 
God surrounds us with the people in our lives so that we could love them. The other thing we see by Peter's confession, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, as the church has to be founded on the Word. Peter's understanding of the Christ, we already went through Christ, we did six weeks on Christ, so we're not going to do that. You know, you wouldn't let me do that here um, right now. Um, his understanding to say that Jesus Christ is Peter's understanding of what we call the Old Testament. That Jesus was the one the prophets had spoken of and he had fulfilled all of those. He had fulfilled and was going to fulfill all those things. So it was not only by Peter's understanding of the scriptures, but it was also by Peter's relationship with Jesus in which he was given the understanding that Jesus is the living word. And so the church has to be founded upon the word of God. If we are not preaching the word of God, then we are not the church. And here's a danger I've seen as many celebrity pastors. <laughs> I've listened to message from celebrity pastors that never open the Word of God, that never mention a passage of Scripture from the Word of God, and their sermons are very, very comical. They're, they're very feel-good, and they tickle your ear just right. But if it's not from the Word of God, then it's not the church, and it's not the living word that is truth. So just because it sounds right, just because it feels good, doesn't mean it's the truth. So we as a church will always preach the word of God. Matter of fact, when I met with the pastor search committee, I told them, that's, that's all I've got. I've, all i got is the word of God. And the thing about the word of God is it changes us and when Satan starts seeing the Word of God changing God's people, and they start falling more in love with God, you better believe Satan's going to come. And if we're not founded upon the Word of God, we're going to crumble. But the gates of hell shall not prevail the church that is founded upon the Word of God. It shall not be moved. It's the rock. The next thing we see is the church is the bride of Christ. Paul makes this, this comparison in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, the husband to the wife as the church is to Christ in submission, but is also speaking of Christ being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. Again, turning back to that word in verse 18, Petra is in the feminine. And you look in Scripture and the definition of bride, this is not a, a jab at women at all. It's just a biblical definition of a bride. The wife is to be a helper. The bride is to help the husband. That doesn't mean the bride doesn't have things going on in her life. Look in Proverbs chapter 31. You see that she does. <laughs> but the bride is to help and represent the husband. And so when the New Testament calls us, the church, the bride of Christ, what it implies is that we now help our bridegroom, which is who? Jesus. And just as the bride in the Old Testament represented the husband in public, so we as the bride to Jesus represent Jesus to the world. And we help get his message of the gospel, his message of peace and reconciliation and grace and mercy to the world. And if we do not do that as a church, if we become a country club, I love my church. I know everybody there. Everybody's the same every single week. And we have a good old time. 
and we just become a little holy huddle, and we're not the church. We have a mission to do. As we wait for the bridegroom to return, next thing we see is the church is Jesus's. Look there in verse 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. That's who you are. And on this rock, meaning the testimony that you said back in verse 16, on this rock, who's going to build the church? I will build whose church? My church. This place is Jesus'. It belongs to Him. It's all about Him. Every dollar that comes in here, it's about Him. Every ministry we do, it's got to be about Him. So everything that we have going on and everything we're going to come up to and bring brought forth, we need to ask this question. Does this glorify Jesus? Does this put him on display? Does this give people the opportunity to come to a relationship with Jesus? And if it's not, then we really need to take a step back and understand we probably shouldn't do it. It may be a great idea. It may be a lot of fun. We may walk away with our bellies full because we like to do that as Baptists, right? But if it does not put Jesus on display, then as the church, we should not be doing it. Shouldn't. Final thing, this is the last one I promise, is the church is to be personal. Personal. Jesus begins his question by saying, Who do people say that I am? And the disciples begin to answer his question. And then Jesus intentionally shifts the question. But who do you say that I am? See, as we come to this place and we come into the presence of the living God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we come to a personal relationship with Him. We come to grow in our personal relationship with Him. We come to grow in our personal relationships with God's people in this place because church is meant to be personal. And how we worship God in this place, how we study His Scriptures, how we allow His Word to impact our heart and transform us and change us is all in relation to my relationship with God. And it comes down to this question, who in this moment do I say that He is? See, before we even sing the first song, it begins with, who do I say Jesus is? Is He the Lord and Savior? Is He sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavens? Has He saved me from my sin? Has He changed from, from a sinner to a saint, from an enemy of God to a child of God, to an heir to the kingdom? Has He adopted me? Has He acclaimed me? Is that who He is? Or is He just this thought in my head? Who do you say that He is? Who have you been saying that He is when you leave this place? People look at the way you and I are living our life and say that, yeah, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we treat people, by the, the things we put ourselves in. Would they come to that conclusion? See, it's become this point in time when we talk about the church, it ultimately comes down to this question we all have to answer. Who have we been saying Jesus is? 
And right now, I can't answer that for you, but right now I know this, that the Holy Spirit digs deep into our bone marrow and reveals these things. If you know you have not been declaring Jesus to be the Christ, Son of the living God, you've not been worshiping Him outside these doors, then you've been putting God in a box. It's time to bust that box open. Maybe you're here this morning, and this is the question you need to answer for yourself. See, it's not about who your mom or dad said he was. It's not about who your grandma or grandpa said he was. Not aunt, uncle, best friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife. It's not about if you were drugged to church and did all the right things. You could have done all the right things for the wrong reasons. Right now in this place, God is extending the invitation saying, who do you say that I am? Am I your Lord and Savior or not? Have you placed your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone for your salvation? If you haven't, the Bible says you're lost and you're destined for hell, but God brought you because He loves you. He doesn't want that for you. was to change that. And if God's revealed, I need to change that this morning and begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I need to be saved this morning. We're going to do a song of invitation here in a moment. Ask Jackson to come on up. The reality of the Bible is it's all about good news because God created you and me to be in a relationship with Him. The issue we all struggle with and we've all been impacted by is our sin. We all do things we know we shouldn't have done or wish we never would have done. That's what the Bible defines as sin. Because we all sin, we fall short of God's glory and our relationship is severed. It's broken. And we can't do enough good things to get that relationship mended. We can't work our way back to God. But the reality is God loves you and me so much He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins to be put in a tomb and He rose again that we could be forgiven. That's why He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we place our faith in that, that I can be forgiven for all my sins, past, present, and future, I would be completely forgiven, saved, and restored back into relationship with God, how God intended me to be. The Bible tells us if I believe that, and I know I need to do that, then now's the moment where I answer the question who I say Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I place my faith in Him. The Bible says, if I believe it in my heart and I confess with my mouth, I will be saved. So the time of invitation right here, right now, is that moment where you already believe it, and now it's time to confess it. I'm going to be standing right here. Jackson and Bridget are going to lead us in a song. And if you need to invite Jesus Christ in your life, stand right here and you just come down and let it be known. Let's stand as we sing.